Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Winning as Women. I'm your host, Jody Geiger. Today's episode is part two of the inaugural Winning as Women sessions we held back in January. We'll pick up right where we left off, part one, and talk about what our mothers and children think we actually do for work, uh, what bossing looks like, misunderstandings we've had about ourselves, releasing our grip on old narratives, uh, things that are no longer serving us, and what makes us feel inspired. Same great guests, more thought-provoking content. Enjoy episode two of Winning as Women. So I'm going to shift gears now, if that's okay. Um, if you are going to get a little bit into ourselves and a little bit personal here, um, but if you could have dinner with someone from your past to resolve something left unresolved, what would you say to them and why? Oh, there's so many people I would have dinner with. <laughs> the table is long. <laughs> Uh, I'm picturing you like in Italy with some long table and just millions of courses and (laughs) goblets down the table. Um, I have been kind of calling in a lot of uh, grandmother, grandfather, great grandmother, great grandfather, ancestral clearing lately. And uh, I think that it would be my, um, it wouldn't actually be someone from my life. It would be, uh, from my living physical body life. It would be my, um, my grandfather's mother who was born in Shanghai into extreme poverty and, um, and had, you know, eight children and, uh, raised, a variety of very different humans. And I just, I want to under, I want to understand that part of my ancestry and, um, you know, have the conversations that I, I haven't been able to have in this life. I, I think that it would help me. Um, it would help me understand a lot about, um, even how to support my children. If you believe that, you know, there are, uh, there's a red thread through time and people that would be, yeah my great grandmother that's so interesting you say that Devin because like the first person that came to mind it's and it's not even about resolving issues because I think I I think I've been so fortunate in my career that any like there's such an environment around feedback um, and the the loop of feedback that I was anything that mattered was resolved and everything else just didn't even matter Mm -hmm. but the person that came to my mind was my grandfather um, Mm -hmm. because he came from such a different world like he had no, like he left the army when he was young and he had five kids and had to like figure it out. And he always encouraged me to be like the boys. And that was his way of saying, like, I don't see you any different than I see my other grandchildren. And for a man that grew up in this tiny village in India, that's like, was so profound and it still sticks with me today. And to like, understand why he even like, how did he even know to say that? Like, you know, and, and, and no one taught him that. And, you know, to, to think like that, it's like, so I feel like I have all these questions that I have now um, that I didn't realize how important some of the stuff that he said to me as a kid was. What was his name? His name, we, uh, people call him Joe, but his, his full name was Jaginder. 
And he was just like, like my grandma talks about him now. He was like this handsome, like broad shouldered man from the army. And he was loud and boisterous. And so it's just like, when I think about him and how soft he was when he would, and he would be like, he's like, he would give me like a thousand business ideas and he would drive me to go look at properties and buy them. And, you know, this is what you need to do. And like, he couldn't speak a word of English, but yet, you know, did tremendously well for himself so this is our grandfathers like, would have been two peas in a pod oh yeah 100 percent. how about you jen oh i really racked my brain trying to think of somebody i mean some i have to say i agreed with simran like there's not really anyone in my present life that I've left things unresolved that I'm either hurting from because I've, you know, usually try and prioritize my own healing if I'm hanging on to things. Uh, so yeah, there's not, I mean, my parents are immigrants from Ireland. Uh, I'm first generation Canadian and, you know, they both grew up in very staunch Irish Catholic households and things were done in a very certain way. And usually that was, you know, very entrenched in fear and shame. Uh, and, you know, if there's anything unresolved, it would probably be around, un, you know, helping me actually understand my parents more uh, in terms of, you know, kind of how they've shown up in my life and um, some of the things that have held them back. So I think I would, it would less unresolved, but more seek to understand them more. Uh, so maybe some people can, uh, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, understand that, or maybe they, they can feel the same way. It's but so funny, Jen, sorry, Jody. language is just everything. Like when I hear the word unresolved, my brain because I feel the same as Simran immediately skips to understand like where where do I feel that I would love deeper understanding is immediately where my brain goes which is why the the table is so long and set for so many because there are just there are so many questions and I mean gosh I think like it doubles back to the beginning of this conversation around leadership and reflection I think when are you ever not in that state of, you know, the the questions you'd love to ask and not even necessarily to seek answers, but just because you'd love to ask the question. And it just comes down to that understanding because it's like you usually have something unresolved because you don't understand the other person's perspective. Like, and Jen, even thinking about like my own parents, it's like the more questions I ask, the more I'm like, oh, that's why you were so strict when I was young or, you know, or why you had these rules or why you have these beliefs. And it's like their own experiences and things that they've gone through in life really shape the way they are. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it just creates a level of empathy that, mm -hmm. you know, then the issues almost feel resolved because you're like, this is, this problem isn't actually about me. Yeah. Right? Beautiful, beautifully said Simran. Like if I was you, I would see what you see. Yeah. 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 It's so much easier when you realize problems aren't actually about you because it's so much harder when you're younger, like in your like teens and twenties where you're like, oh my God, why doesn't this person like me? Or why did this person call me back? And you're like, no, it's actually not about me. Yeah. That's a shock. I'm just learning that in this moment. <laughs> what? <laughs> in all seriousness though that was a I think that was probably one of my biggest obstacles to learn and overcome still working on that one 
Um, <laughs> uh, what is uh, something people seem to misunderstand about you? I would, I, for me, I think everyone thinks I'm like this raging extrovert. <laughs> and, oh my God, I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, I like love people, but you know, the pandemic hasn't been awful for me. I actually love people, but I crave alone time. Uh, so I would say a lot of people misunderstand that about me. I really like solace. Uh, and I would say maybe one other thing, they think I'm really confident and I, I feel self-doubt a lot. Uh, but I just don't let it get in the way anymore. And I think that sometimes this, you know, what I hear from a lot of women is they're like, oh, I just wish I was more confident or I could do if I only if I was more confident, I'd be able to do this. And that's just not true. You know, that this never failing glorious confidence for women, I don't think is really ever coming. Uh, and I really learned that as a coach, I've worked with, you know, eight figure female entrepreneurs and people just starting their career. And we all struggle with the same sort of things around confidence. So, you know, sometimes I think, how can I just like, let this self-doubt be here? I know it's along for the ride and just not let it block me from, from what I want to do. So I think a lot of people think I'm really confident and I'm, I wouldn't say I am. I would say I feel self-doubt a lot. I just don't let it stop me. Yeah, there was a question in Q&A that I feel like this, this we're right on the verge of answering here. Um, that's how do you overpower your inner critic and cultivate confidence with new projects? Yeah, I think the confidence comes from the facing the inner critic, doing it anyways, and getting on the other side. Uh, I don't like to try and overpower my inner critic. I actually kind of make like to make friends with it. <laughs> that's just I my feel, Yeah, I feel the same way. And I think it's like, if you are passionate about your pro your product and your project, like I, like, you know, I, Devin and I are friends and I've seen how passionate she is about what she's doing. And you just feel this confidence coming, resonating from that person that really believes in what they're doing. And that's kind of what I always come back to is like, when I look at my product and what I'm building and who I'm building it for, then it's like, then I don't really care about what the inner critic thinks because I'm like, what I'm building is speaking for itself. And so I think that's something that I constantly come back to is like, it's, it's not even really about me as an individual, but it's about what we're building and what our team is building. This makes me think of sort of like a, like a, a, an output graph in my mind of all the moments where I've thought, oh, what I'm doing is shit right now. Or I'm like, when I'm creating is shit, it's not good enough. It's actually the moments when I'm not creating enough. And a great analogy is like artists or music. And if you look at the records you love the most, I guarantee you that musician is put is, is making more music. If they're putting out more music, it's because they're making more trash than everybody else, which is why they have double the amount of albums. And I constantly think about that. If I'm putting out, you know, um, less quality stuff, it probably means because I'm actually not creating enough generally, which has been a guiding principle for me to, um, to not wait until I'm ready to start something. You're, you're never, you never have enough money. You're never rested enough. You're never confident enough. It's just, you never have all of the things you think you're convinced you really need to start doing the thing. And, and so I, I, I just kind of hack myself and remember that this is about output. This is the more I create, 
the more trash I will create and the more gems, diamonds that will come out of the rough. It is, it is pure output. So I just have to keep showing up at the table and creating and putting things out into the world. And it's not about the, it doesn't need me to wait until I'm, you know, good enough, smart enough, know enough, read enough, have enough money, et cetera. It's like, that's one of the biggest shifts I had coming into tech. Cause it's like, I went from being an accountant, like everything's supposed to be perfect. Right. And you came <laughs> yeah. to it and it's like, you go to jail if it's not perfect. Right. Thanks <laughs> are high. And then it's like, you get into tech and it's like fail fast. Right. So one of the things we had to learn is like, you got to like, on like you get from MVP. And I remember like our first vision was like so grandiose and it was going to be so perfect. And you slowly scope down, scope down to, I just put something out there and somebody needs to like it. Right. (laughs) And, and then you realize like some of the things that you think are going to be great aren't. And some things that you think are total trash become like one hit wonders, you know? And so you just don't know until you put stuff out there. And it's like learning that you're going to create and you're going to put it out there and it's up to the world, whether they love it or not. And, and that's not the point. It's like what you're saying, Devin, to just constantly put stuff out there and then you get that constant feedback and you know what works. Oh yeah. And I just love these music analogies because it's like, you know, there are so many examples. I think Sting was a great one and where artists have said like, Oh, the audience is so wrong. Everybody thought that was my number one. This was my number one. This is the goal that no one else saw. Doesn't matter. I know. You don't have to know. This is the one you think is gold, but I know that's the goal that you guys can't see yet. One day it'll resurface and then you'll, it'll get its airtime. <laughs> I think that's it. The, um, you know, following your own curiosities or scratching your own itch when that project or an idea in your mind um, is niggling that way that curiosity starts to take over and there's an inertia that happens Mm -hmm. and uh, you get, you know, feedback on that. And that allows you, and if you stay open and stay loose, um, that allows you to iterate and pivot and let go of this. I have to have this perfect idea and then I'm going to launch it in this way. And then everyone will know and accept that it's perfect immediately that's what everyone does no you know not at all and like let's shatter that um just big pile of trash because it really is that um cool so uh what is something you have misunderstood about yourself I think for me it was definitely that I thought being an entrepreneur was so much easier because I had all this experience that I was like you know I've got 10 years of work experience and this great network. And it's, you know, it's not going to be that hard because I did it the smart way. I didn't, I didn't do it at 19. Uh, it was total shit. It's so hard. Um, but it's also understanding that I'm going to learn new skills and I'm going to be able to do it. And I think those were things that I just did not realize I actually had to do. Um, and so, yeah, I, it's absolutely like, I totally thought it was going to be way easier than it actually was. So (laughs) I don't think I realized how much I had to learn. I think for me, I mean, I probably told myself the story for a really long time that I'm not the entrepreneur type. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I spent 20 years uh, working for other people, working for organizations and like, I didn't really 
come into entrepreneurship willingly and excitingly. <laughs> I basically burned out, was like this model for my life does not work for me anymore. How am I going to rebuild that and redefine that? So I think for a really long time, I misunderstood that about myself. I think actually I've probably always had a craving for entrepreneurship. I come from a lineage of entrepreneurship on both my mom's side and my dad's side. Uh, and I think that kind of fire has always been there, uh, but I let the inner critic kind of keep me in that safe spot and, and, you know, having something like a paycheck that's reliable and benefits and all of those sorts of things. So I don't think it's fun. It's fun when you learn some of these things that you've misunderstood about yourself and prove yourself wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think for me, so when I started my first company, I'm 35 now, I was 2021 and, you know, entrepreneurship wasn't totally cool yet. It was like people, it was still like, Ooh, that's very risky. (laughs) And it just got cool in the last decade. Now it's like super cool. Everybody thinks about talking about starting their quote unquote own thing at some point in their life. I have never thought about entrepreneurship like that. I have never it is never through the lens of like me or working for myself or I just, when I hear others talk about that, uh, it just doesn't resonate. I don't understand. And I think that it's because the, the label of entrepreneurship was sort of given to me by virtue of starting a business in my early twenties, but what I've realized is I actually identify way more as a creator. I happen to be very enterprising. Um, that feels much more like who I am than, than this like label of entrepreneur. Um, and I don't know why that is other than that, you know, it's never been about this idea of like working for myself or doing my own thing. Because of course, when you do do your own thing, what you realize is, well, you still work for everybody because you have a freaking team and your team needs you and they, you got to show up and you got to take care of them and you got to hit these goals because everybody wants their salary and needs and deserves their salary. And, and so, you know, are you ever really like working for you? No, you're working for your customers and your team and, and uh, your community. Um, so, yeah, I think the thing that I didn't understand about myself, uh, it, it took me until my 30s to really to really be like, why can I never wrap my head around this idea of entrepreneurship? And it's just because I'm a creator. I just happened to be like a builder and enterprising. Boston, only they're all Boston. You now as the boss. Who <laughs> yeah. be like, oh, my mom's bossing sphere. I'm like, what does that even mean, bossing? Maybe. <laughs> on the floor this is what my daughter does when she walks around my house is she takes when she's like she puts on sunglasses she walks around the house and she goes like this I'll just be a moment yeah I'll be a moment I'll be a moment so I think that's what she thinks bossing is own a computer and I mean that's what I think it is so (laughs) she's pretty dead on (laughs) maybe knows what's up Uh, um Okay. So, uh, what maybe is, I mean, there's a lot, obviously you guys are lifelong learners. Um, it sounds like, but maybe what is the the most important thing you feel like you've learned 
recently in life? I would say for me, it's like that what got you here won't get you there. (laughs) Uh, And that we have to let go of things. Uh, We have to relinquish the grasp that we have on things, Uh, old narratives, old parts of ourselves, old relationships, really anything that isn't serving you any longer. And I think I have a lot of peace about this now, but for a really long time, I gripped a lot of that. And uh, that's probably been the most important thing I've learned in the last couple of years. What was your life like, Jen, while you were gripping? Um, Suffocating, (laughs) limiting, exhausting, out of alignment. Um, Yeah, it was all of those things. Yeah. And after learning this, how, what, were, what would be the words you would use now? Uh, I would say expansive, uh, healing, soul-filling, often transformational. Yeah, but I, I didn't approach that easily. <laughs> <laughs> I think Brene Brown says, like, you know, one point in her talk, she went in, like, kicking and screaming and, like, yeah, that was me as well kind of thing. So, yeah, there's been some peace that have, that's come with the, with that. Yeah. It's like you said earlier, you know, the, the lessons we need to learn their whispers and eventually you're just like bashed over the head, like, you know, thrown into the trunk of a car and driven somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Well, what was, uh, one thing that you had to do that you didn't expect to have to do to grow your career? I don't think I ever thought I was going to be like in the position that I'm in, like run like I kind of haphazardly like I think one of the terms people have used is like the accidental fintech entrepreneur like I just I never saw this for myself it was like a solution that I was trying to build and it turned into something so I just never expected that I would have to learn how to be a leader Um, and so that's something that's been new for me is like okay how do I how do I build culture how do I it was our always already built for me. And so I was either at a big corporation or I was at a really, really small company where it was really easy and I was, we weren't really growing in terms of people. And so that's been really new for me is like, oh, okay, I have to learn these skills and become like a great leader. Um, And it's important for the people around me for me to have that skill set. You know, for me, it was, So for those of you who don't know Blow, it was magenta, it was pink. We had taglines like, because you can't blow yourself. It was <laughs> super fun. So cheeky, just blow me. And, and, you know, really embodied in the female. And I was very surprised, um, you know, in kind of shock and awe, um, in my early 20s that my life and so much of me stepping into my own as a creator and, and following my path would require me to continue again and again and again to come nose to nose with patriarchal systems. And that is not men, that's not men, it can very much include women and all people. And I just can point to endless examples 
of where the patriarchy, the operating system has um, required a lot of my time and energy um, and continues to. So yeah, that, that I think has been um, the most surprising thing. It's no longer surprising at 35 and, you know, two kids and two businesses deep, but it certainly was uh, in my first few years of um, owning and running a business. Uh, I was just shocked at the countless examples of ways in which, um, yeah, there, there had to be dismantling and time and energy and even money invested in um, in challenging that system. Hey, Devin, you have me so um, on the verge here. you got to give an example or a specific story <laughs> or something here. No names, but just, um, just something to highlight what you mean exactly. Okay, so I'll just choose a recent one. Let's just go. <laughs> Um, so this was like in maybe November when I just started raising, uh, going to market with my seed round and, um, that we've closed half of, <laughs> and I, um, I had had a conversation, a series of conversations over a few years with a gentleman who is a very prominent businessman in the Canadian ecosystem, um, very, very wildly successful in his industry, um, very interested in our space, in the space of self-improvement, has written books with, with co-authors in that space, and uh, asked me when we were pre-seed, meaning like pre-revenue, et cetera, uh, to keep him posted for the next round as we had you know, data. So I did that and uh, went back to him and, and among many other people and said, hey, you know, this is where we're at now. This is what we've learned. This is what we've accomplished. And, and he um, said, I'm so interested. Let's book a call. We get on the call. He asked tons of questions. I present, I pitch, we book another call. He asked more questions. Um, and, then, and then starts throwing me all kinds of flame emojis on Instagram and telling me how attractive I am and, um, and invites me to Italy on a vacation and says that he has no interest in investing, but wants to be on vacation with me. So that's a, a very real example of how my time, energy, and money was wasted by the patriarchy. Um, in this case, it did happen to be a gentleman, but it also is an operating system where, where um, you know, a system was used um, at, really against me and against the success, against the path. Um, and there, you know, were countless hours of emails and time spent on calls with someone who ultimately um, had a very different agenda. Um, you know, this, like, I, I cannot tell you how many times things like that, not just around investing have happened in my career. Um, or I've had, you know, men, um, uh, tell me how things are, or I've had, uh, God, another really recent one was, this was hysterical. My whole team just like died. We were, um, we needed new computers from Apple, and 
you have to go through when you you can lease pro computers now from Apple. So never buy them again because you can lease them and it's so cheap. And and so, you know, I put our proposal in to lease these new machines for the team and they just weren't getting back to me. They weren't opening the file. They were like, here I am with like cash in my hand. I want to lease your computers and a bunch of them. And um, they uh, they got on the call with me and uh, I said, you know, hey, thank you so much. You know, been emailing you a bunch of times, ready to lease these machines. And he's like, oh, uh, this is Devin Brooks. I said, yes, this is Devin Brooks. He said, oh, okay, it's just that usually I'm talking to men. That's who's managing these accounts. I guess I was just expecting you to be a guy. We almost never lease this many machines to women. It, it was just so baffling. Like, and I felt it was quite endearing because it, it, was, it was without any intent, but he just sort of bumbled all of this out on the call with Apple. And I went, well, now that we've got that sorted, I am in fact a woman and I'd very much like these five computers or whatever. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just so funny how, how these things, you know, come up again and again and again. So um, yeah, a lot of time and energy and thought goes into sort of dealing with this very old operating system. Yeah. Face palm is the perfect emoji for that. Yeah. 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 There's like, I have feel, we have so many countless stories of when we were pitching for our first round of like stuff like that, where it was like, I think there was one investor, like a couple of times we were told that we should actually just build our software for women. And right. so it was like, well, actually I know a lot more about finance than men. And so right. they also need this. Right? right. And so it was like, oh, you, well, the wind is at your back and everybody cares about like women building for women. And so it was like, right. well, it was like very much like stay in your lane right. or we had a few bait and switches where somebody, like, I remember pitching to somebody and he's like, well, actually, I just want to go on a date with your co-founder. And so, you know, try being two women running a tech company and, you know, You're like fielding this for each other. Yeah. Just like and so, yeah. And so, or just like even my first experience in business, like I was a young manager, I got promoted in, in my twenties and I was at a boardroom table with like a bunch of executives, the only woman, the only person under like 40. And the partner that went to go introduce me said, you know, we didn't just bring her onto the team for her because for her good looks. And like, that's how I was introduced. That's like my first experience at a boardroom table. Right. And so, and he was like this, he was a very nice man. Right. right. And I, he didn't actually have any ill intention and I had to then after go back to him and say, you can never say that again. And you shouldn't have said that. It's like, it did so much more damage than good. And those are the things that you have to fight that you don't expect to fight when you get to get to those places. Cause it's like, I fought to get here and now I have to fight to, to prove that I belong here. Right. Right. So to pave the way for other folks, not have to have to experience this and, and hopefully fight as hard as, um, as hard as we fought, uh, how or and what um, are you doing um, to promote um, and advocate for DNI programs in your organizations? 
One of the things that we talk about at Sphere that for me is sort of the foundation of DE and I is that we approach everything as of evolving philosophy. So everything we know is based only on the information that was available to us at that moment. And at some point we will likely have better and different information. And so, you know, everything that we know to be true is evolving. And so therefore our philosophies are evolving and our sort of like rules and regulations are evolving. Everything is evolving, nothing is fixed. And sort of building from that place of evolving philosophies has been really beneficial um, from a, in inclusivity, equity, diversity perspective. Um, and, you know, that's inherent to our mission. If we're not thinking about those things, we're actually just not going to be successful because we're actually trying to democratize coaching and, and make this more accessible and make this more inclusive and make this more flexible um, uh, and inviting for, uh, for everyone. So it has to start from that place of, um, of evolving philosophies. The, the, for us, being totally remote has been a big part in having all kinds of diversity on our team. Um, it could be diversity of family, you know, children with disabilities, um, partners with disabilities, because what it allows for is um, a, a sort of different level of uh, different aptitude and malleability towards um, inclusivity of needs, how time is spent in a day or in a week. Um, we really view time as nonlinear and that that helps us to support the many different ways in which you know, people accomplish great work. Um, and so that has been really beneficial for sure in, in having people on our team with all kinds of different experiences and backgrounds and frames of reference. Um, yeah, I'm so curious, Simran, Jen, how are you guys thinking about this? I think that a lot of what you're saying, Devin, I think one of the perks of being in tech is like, you can be remote and like we have team members all around the world and like that we're bringing on. So it's like, we're not constrained to borders and you get different experience. And for us kind of being a small team that's growing, we continuously check ourselves in terms of like, are we creating an echo chamber? Mm -hmm. Especially as you know, we're democratizing family office management. So it's like, I come from working with family offices, but am I really addressing the needs of kind of the market that I'm opening this up to? Mm -hmm. And are we getting enough feedback from people with those experiences? And it's really nice to have team members that can kind of put themselves in the shoes of being a user from a very different perspective. So whether it's being a woman, a person of color, um, you know, and we, and people come growing up with different backgrounds or having different family needs, um, that all changes the way you think about it. You know, one thing we brought on a team member who's um, living with stepchildren and they have these complexities around divorce and money management. And it was really interesting to have that person be a part of the team because they added a lot of things that I was like, I totally didn't think that that's something, those are things that you have to 
think about mm -hmm. um, when it comes to your money and how it can impact it. And so we shifted the way the product was built to adapt that. So it's like, we're constantly trying to look for team members that can bring that on. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of hard as like a small team to like formalize it as much. Um, yes. So it's this constant question that we're kind of asking is like, who can we bring on the team that brings like a d diverse perspective for the product, even though it might be maybe somebody that's doing UX or UI or is a front end developer or whatever, but how will they put themselves in their, in the, in, in a user's shoes? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just to have with that question of like, are we building a team and a company and a frame of reference where everybody knows that this is everybody's job? Yeah. Not just one person's job. It's not, this responsibility does not fall on the shoulders of any single department. This is something that every engineer, every designer, you know, customer experience person, we're, we're all thinking about and we all hold to our hearts and as core to what it is that we're cultivating together. Yeah, I think the best feeling as like, as you're building a team is when your team members call your project their baby and so they're like well no Michael's my baby and so it's like oh my god my baby is your baby and so you just kind of like have this kind of like co-parenting thing happening and so um, I think for matern obviously we're still uh you know we just we just launched and in October uh even though we've been working on the business for a year uh, I think, you know, what we see our role is, is raising the consciousness of all the organizations that we're speaking to about equity uh, in organizations and raising consciousness about how maternal bias, how maternal discrimination shows up in the workplace and really trying to flip the motherhood penalty on its head to create the motherhood opportunity. And so I think we see our work, you know, I, my co-founder is a DEI consultant. Uh, and so, you know, how can our language be as inclusive and well welcoming as possible, even in the motherhood space, ensuring that all mothers feel welcome and seen and, you know, and, and understood no matter how they came in to being a mother. Mm -hmm. um, and so we kind of look at it externally and then internally in, ter in terms of just like how it continues to shape our, our values, uh, but really focused on the external piece right now, because a lot of organizations aren't really aware of how maternal bias and how the motherhood penalty actually shows up within their organization. So we see ourselves as educators as well. You know, something that um, I was surprised about when I first started working at Clue or working with Clue, I guess at that time as a consultant, um, was the, the CEO Jason's um, obsession with hiring um, what he calls like mom power. It's like there's these, you know, superhumans that live amongst us effectively that um, when they get to work, they have such clarity and purpose in what they're doing. And then they're there, they get it done, they get out. How do we get more of that? <laughs> and I was like, what? Just what a parallel universe um, to what I, you know, had experienced in like past <laughs> lives. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's an opportunity to, to set the tone in that way. And also for women that, um, that have, you know, gone through and are raising kids um, and, you know, to speak to women who are just thinking about it around the precipice of that. Cause I had no idea when I was, you know, in my twenties and working and, and, you know, such like a bulldog, like pusher, just like, well, why can't you get this done? This needs to get done now. Like, this is unacceptable. And it's like no understanding that someone has a life and, you know, children and uh, commitments outside of work and that their world could be more complicated than mine. 
like right. that's like the face palm. You know, I feel like we need to bring that um, into regular conversation so it normalizes this, you know, experience at work. Oh yeah, no, that's such a great one. Even you know, on our team this week, um, there's a few parents and. Um, one of the dads in his household, uh, his partner is a nurse and, and based on her hours, he's who usually does pick up and drop off. And so, you know, looming for him was after the extended vacation, you know, the return to school on Monday and, you know, the, the different feelings that young children have after having almost a month of no school, they never want to go back. (laughs) And, you know, for him, Monday morning was like super complex and he was feeling a bit, you know, ruffled and swirly and, you know, had, had the, the, conversation and awareness not already been there amongst the team in terms of you know all the nuances that that we discuss about how we all live and how we all do what we do and you know who are the important people in our lives and you know we have a Friday nooner um, every week and it's it's purely a social time it's a sacred social time where we really just reflect and talk about what's happening in everybody's lives what our needs are we have fun we play games And um, that time has been a time of great learning uh, in terms of those nuances in everyone's life. So because of that, you know, the team knows that, okay, school's back for the sphere parents. And that's going to mean Mondays like could be a touch and go day for the parents on the team. And just having those conversations as a part of even scrum is a huge, um, a huge way to be able to, to demonstrate, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. That, that wide angle empathy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So what makes you feel inspired or like your best selves? This one's so easy for me. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Doing really high intensity, high velocity, extreme sports. <laughs> I'm like, as soon as you say that, I want to go get all my pads on and my like full helmet on and rip outside. Um, yeah, it's downhill mountain biking and um, backcountry ski touring. And it's it's all in nature. Um, you know, big, a big thing for me is sort of this phrase of walking alone. And it's, it's, you know, you could think about me literally walking on the valley trail. Um, but it, this idea of walking alone is often me in the backcountry or me on my mountain bike, like hitting eight foot rock wall features and doing all kinds of rad stuff. And it's where I build my, my, my courage. It's like where I fill that tank again. And um, it's where I remind myself that, um, that everything, you know, starts with what's in here and what's in here. And, 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 you know, the, 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 uh, it doesn't have to be that the opposite of belief is disbelief, like actively disbelieving something that you can't do something. You're not ready for something, you know, you're not brave enough. You're not skilled enough, whatever it is. And so, yeah, mountain biking and ski touring gives me all of that hugely, hugely have those values or that like pure joy in that way? Has it come into your business? Oh my God. How do you, yeah, run it, your values and your business. hundred percent. 
I, I mean, the, the team laughs at me because when actually the more complex the problem that I need to solve, the more extreme the sport I need to do to synthesize the, the problem that I'm going to solve. Um, and so, yeah, when I come back, um, certainly, you know, there's a lot of downloading of, you know, what what came to me on that ride or, um, yeah, even the feeling of like what taking risks should feel like, you know, taking risks should feel like hitting an eight foot rock wall. It should be a little jittery. It should be a little, just a little bit scary where you think, well, I really haven't done this thing before, but hey, I've trained, I've showed, I've demonstrated my, to myself in all of these different ways that I actually understand how to hit that obstacle and how to hit that feature. I just haven't done it yet. So let me try. What, what are you hitting eight foot rock walls with or in? <laughs> <laughs> what um, does that mean <laughs> like so I like I ride downhill mountain biking um and and enduro um so I have like all my armor and I have a beautiful Santa Cruz Bronson see my investment and um and so on a bike and you know huge drops huge like 60 slope rock walls where you're literally you know, it's your face is parallel to the earth. <laughs> that yeah, is puts a uh, pitching to investors in perspective. <laughs> the fear. Or oh, 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 yeah, because that 100% Jody, because it's so high consequence, it really does put things into perspective where I'm like, God, the worst thing I'm going to do is embarrass myself. That's not that bad. It's just like, it's just not that bad. Devin and I could not be more different. Like high stakes to me is like roller skating. I honestly, when I was five years old, I went to Disneyland for the first time and I wouldn't go on the carousel horses that went up and down. I stayed in the stationary. I still remember this. I am. And my daughter is exactly the same. And it triggers me so much. I'm like, oh, I know as Jen, as Devin's talking, I'm like, I feel nauseous. <laughs> I'm like, I just said to to my partner the other day because he's getting into backcountry skiing and whatnot and I was like I just want to do the big sea turns on the on the greens and the blue that's it that's my, like that's all I just I need. do my pizzas on the blue runs <laughs> yeah I'll just slowly get down but it's um it yeah definitely not I, I but I do echo like getting into nature as being a place to get inspired and it's like getting away from everything and whether it's like walking or you know I love to like I get into like really dorky puzzles and stuff and it's it's just like something that I'll like a crossword or whatever just to like shut my brain off from work <clears throat> to like recalibrate or read and and be outside and it's just like a way for you to like you know, not like think about work, but not really think about it where you're with, with the pressure. Mm. Yeah. Nature is so beneficial that way. What about you, Jen? We know the rides you don't go on. (laughs) What rides do you go on? I think, you know, when I feel inspired or my best self, like my, the dialogue between my head and my heart is really open. Mm. Uh, when I'm at my best self, I'm coming from just a pure place of love and service and never expecting anything in return, but slightly overjoyed when something does come. I notice when I 
start keeping score on things that I'm usually not in the best place. Uh, and so I, I, I kind of figure out, you know, what I need to get back to it. So yeah, that's, that's my best version of myself. <laughs> my, my patient, curious, uh, seek to understand self. Um, I mean, I, I feel when I can stay in there for a longer period of time, that's, that's good for everybody, <laughs> especially my children. What tools, if any, do you have that, um, allow you to calibrate that or know where you, where you are in relationship? Like when the dialogue's open yeah, between my head and my heart. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely out of my head. So I'm, I'm entrenched in my feminine power. And in order to get into my feminine power, I need to feel like connected to my body wisdom and things I'll hear things that my thinking mind does not come up with. Um, and in order to get to that space, it requires uh, stillness uh, and it requires time in nature. It requires setting some really hard boundaries. It requires like actually putting my hands on my body um, asking myself questions, journaling, reflecting, um, because I think for a really long time, you know, I was just like a chicken with its head cut off. Like I was just all up here and never in my body. And I knew that cause I'd like randomly go to some yoga class every once, every six months and they'd make us do hip openers. And all of a sudden I'd be like bawling my eyes out and I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? Yeah. Did I know that your hips are where you carry your emotional pain, but like, I was just so cut off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of recognize when I get to that place again, Um, when I'm really entrenched in that more masculine power and I try and find ways dancing helps. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I am, you know, just like anything that gets me into my body and out of my head. And I'm sure Devin, you know, when you're barreling (laughs) down a mountain, (laughs) right? Like you have to be fully present. Like there is no other place you could be. It's actually, you're spot on. It's the most meditative thing that I do even perhaps more meditative than meditating Mm -hmm. um for that reason exactly I um I also I really recommend this is certainly something we see come up a lot um with people who are getting coaching at sphere um contemplating or talking to their coaches about um habits rituals practices to be able to tap into inspiration, to be able to kind of unlock, to be able to build that heart head connection. And um, one of the non (laughs) ways that I do that is actually, it's kind of funny that a mom has her own thing on the fridge, but I'll show you. (laughs) Um, I, one of the other ways that I do that is by practicing things where the outcome can be anything. So whereas mountain biking is super high consequence, obviously ski touring as well, avalanches, etc. Um, but painting is, um, is a way when I know that heart head connection is open when it's not, I can't paint. I'm so analytical. Everything is logic, logic. It's I'm very rigid in my thinking and expression. Um, so I do little collabs with my daughter and she wrote this story for me or she drew this story and told it to me and I wrote it down for her and it's this was her first drawing 
And she, the story she told me, I said, Clooney, what have you drawn? And she said, uh, when I was born, I was a bird flying in the sky. And I looked down and there was a purple horse and you. And I saw you so beautiful that I came down to be your daughter. Oh my gosh. And so, <laughs> so I drew Clooney. And wow. you know, just these, it's, it's, I'm not, you know, a painter, a drawer, but the, the expression of just being able to take a story, something I read, a poem that I read, and then paint it or draw it. Um, it's really helpful for me to just kind of tune the heart and the head. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. It's beautiful. I'm curious about mentorship and what mentorship mentoring have looked like and meant for you in your careers that I mean it's a land that Jen spent a lot of time in I'm sure Simran there I recall a lot of mentorship being baked into your last gig (laughs) yeah (laughs) for sure I think I I was super fortunate like in my when my time at like PwC where it's like just it's it's part of the culture Um, and it's really interesting because I think what I was really fortunate with, with that was it was something I, I knew and I was something I expected out of my life was to have mentorship. And so coming out of that, that was something I had to find. Um, and it's really interesting because when you're at a big firm, you kind of just get a mentor and you're, you're a mentor to a lot of people and it's really easy to shift around. And I think working on my own, it was like, well, what do I, what kind of mentorship do I actually need? Cause I'm not, my, my job doesn't look the same anymore. Um, Mm. And there was a period of time that I didn't even actually know what I wanted to create. So like, how do you become a creator and, and who's guiding you in that? And then it's like, okay, now I am creating something and, and what are the skill sets that I need? Um, What's the role looking like? And so for me, it's kind of been a constant thread in my career is mentorship. I think it helps me become who I, who I want to be and who I really see myself being. Um, And so I think it's like, I think it's such a beautiful gift to have great mentors. And they kind of come, I, I, I always like imagine it, I kind of like draw out who my people are. And so like, in a way, my partner is a mentor to me, like we can talk about certain things and supports me, but then it's like, people outside of my industry that are mentoring me in different things. And then people that work with me. Cause like, I think some of the best feedback I got was like from our like EA, just, I'd be like, well, what do you think? Cause you kind of see like everybody in all the chaos. And so it's, and it's like, well, I think sometimes you're not really clear in what needs to get done. And so that I think is really, really helpful is like not really defining like this mentor needs to be somebody you want to be or has the role you want it. They can take different shapes and different forms. Yeah. I mean, I've been lucky to have some incredible mentors and some sponsors in my career. So when I was with organizations, you know, I had mentors and sponsors and someone once described to me, mentor talks to you, a sponsor talks about you. 
Uh, and I had kind of both when I was, you know, with different corporate organizations. I think what we get wrong about mentorship is we sometimes we think there needs to be some formal exchange or an ask around, you know, will you be my mentor? A lot of these relationships I invested in, and they just sort of naturally evolved in that sort of way from a mentorship perspective. I have mentored individuals through formalized and informalized mentoring, and I've had mentors through formalized programs like the forum. Um, and I've also had informal mentors and mentoring kind of minutes or mentoring moments with individuals on an annual basis that, you know, simply gave me an hour of their time. And, and then I didn't see them again for six months. Like, so everything kind of falls under that umbrella. But I think what it comes down to is, you know, we can't become ourselves by ourselves. You know, we do need support. We need individuals. Opportunities always happen through a matrix of relationships. And that takes time and it takes investment and it takes intention. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're, you know, if you're on this call and you're like, I'd love a mentor, um, you know, just start to lead with the curiosity and intention around that. And who in your immediate network can you start to develop a more meaningful relationship with? I don't think I ever asked anybody, will you be my mentor? It just sort of evolved that way. I love, Jen, what you said there, you know, it's so apropos around, um, you know, what we, we don't do this by ourselves. And I think my least favorite part of capitalism, of which there are many, um, but my least favorite part is that it's driven to our detriment in so many ways, this hyper individualism. And what that's meant is that people are walking around thinking, you know, it starts with this something as simple as I can never cohabitate with different generations of my family. I'm supposed to leave. I'm supposed to get my own home. I'm supposed to raise two children by myself in four walls that I purchased on my own. I'll see my parents, you know, once a quarter, I can barely handle them, whatever it is. And then it evolves from there into all of the other things that we're supposed to do um, all by ourselves, or with this idea of, of hyper-individualism, which is just all through the lens of ego and this idea of I'm so special. And, and the reality is that we need all the resources and all of the people who are putting out the great work are using all of the resources a lot of the time. And I will tell you that, you know, the greater the challenge or the bigger the thing that I'm trying to do, the more resources I know that I will need. And that is like a plenty. It is mentoring. It is using my coaches. It is body work, it is running, it is mountain biking, it is having a frequent friend hits that I call them like those 15 minute combos with someone where you just dive deep, they know you want a soul level, you can talk about all the unimportant silly stuff, like all of the list goes on really hardcore time with my kids, really tethered time with my mom, like I the, the bigger the thing that I'm trying to create, 
the braver the thing that I'm trying to do, the more resources I need. And this sort of fallacy that's been created, which was very much created intentionally to drive capitalism, um, is just not something that serves community. It doesn't actually serve the self. It doesn't drive well-being. And we actually need community. We need each other. We need our neighbors. We need our colleagues. That is how we do the good work. Beautifully said. And thank you all for um, for giving us this uh, sense of community tonight and these off book um, mentoring minutes. I, I feel like I soaked up a lot of knowledge here tonight and really value the uh, rawness, the authenticity, the self-reflection that you brought to the conversation. Uh, and I'd love for you to share very quickly how uh, folks on the call can find you um, if they want to connect further. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Jen Murta Coaching. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I respond to everything. So you can find me on those two channels. How about you, Simran? Yeah, yeah, I'm also on LinkedIn. I've like had a bunch of people already that are attending um, send invites. So, so happy to connect with anybody and share my experience and, and share stories. Um, and also I'm, I'm on Instagram, uh, Kang underscore Simran. So if you want to find me on there, <laughs> I try to be active. It's like a new skill that I'm flexing. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new thing you're mastering. Yeah. yeah. Like, the year was 2007. <laughs> year, like Simran and Jen, um, I'm on Instagram at devs development and, uh, and also on LinkedIn, though, if you want to have a conversation or drop into my DMs, the right place to do that is definitely on Instagram. Um, I'm always, you know, game to have a touch base and or if you're contemplating something or looking to be pointed in a direction or towards a resource, I'll always do my absolute best um, to get back to you. And if I can't get back to you because I'm spread too thin, I will tell you that eventually I will get back to you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's the right place to, to reach me. Thanks, Jody, for the opportunity. And obviously to Clue for bringing everyone together. And thanks for everyone too that stayed on for the full two hours. Love the dialogue in the chat and just really grateful for the opportunity. So Jody, you're a dynamite facilitator and super and appreciative Jody. to Clue. Thank you guys. And we would love um, feedback from everyone on the event. Uh, any topic ideas, we'd love to do something in person in the future as well. Um, we say internally that this is winning as women and we just imagine this in the future and eventually we're like still winning as women and just all of the like forms of that because it's, you know, we, we're always going to win as women. You know, reflecting back on that entire session, I feel inspired to spotlight more women who are elevating their game and driving impact. I think it was Isaac Newton who said, if I have seen further, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants. I am excited to meet more giants. So we're starting a whole new series where we get to talk to more leaders like Devin, Simran, and Jen, who will widen our horizons and help us go further together. As always, Feel free to reach out to me with your questions, feedback, and future topics on LinkedIn. I'm Jody Geiger, and for everyone that is listening, thank you. Catch you next time.